Stay tuned. East Side Radio, 89.7 FM. Greetings, citizens of Sydney. This is Breaking Waves. My name is John. And I'm Riley. And uh, the last couple of weeks we've covered the subjects of birth and life. And now we're going to get into something that a lot of people uh, go through the day trying not to think about. And that is death. Something that we all have to deal with. That's right. Even if we don't want to. Hey, I'm getting pneumonia! <coughs> Open up! I'll die! I'll die! No! I'm too young to die! Please! Please let me in! Hey, this scene ought to get me the Academy Award! Say goodbye to Uncle Louie for me! That was Bugs Bunny there from a 1942 Looney Tunes cartoon called The Wabbit Who Came to Supper. And that was one of Bugs' most uh, prolific tactics to manipulate Elmer, as well as the cross-dressing seduction. Uh, He would often pretend to be dying, and it seemed to work every time. Yeah, I think it's important to keep a sense of humor in life. And Looney Tunes certainly help us do that because it's uh, potentially a scary subject, but it's something that we all have to deal with. Um, I love the way that they go up with their little harps and the wings and everything, and they'll like blow themselves up and they'll be like, oh, up in the clouds. Maybe that wasn't a good idea. Because that is one of our narratives that we die and go to some heavenly place. Uh, escorted by teams of angels. I think that's that comes out a lot in the Looney mm. Tunes. And we're going to hear a bit of that kind of idea of death in the following track from Johnny Cash. It's called Ain't No Grave. There ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down When I hear that trumpet sound I'm gonna rise right out of the ground Ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, look way down the river And what do you think I see? I see a band of angels And they're coming after me Ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, look down yonder, Gabriel Put your feet on the land and see But Gabriel, don't you blow your trumpet Till you hear from me There ain't no grave can hold my body down Ain't no grave can hold my body down Ain't 
Well, meet me, Jesus, meet me Meet me in the middle of the air And if these wings don't fail me I will meet you anywhere Ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, meet me, mother and father Meet me down the river road And mama, you know that I'll be there When I check in, my lord Ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down So that was Johnny Cash with There Ain't No Grave. Uh, Johnny Cash was quite prolific in uh, the last part of his life. He passed away well, a few years ago, and he made quite a few albums in the last few years, didn't he, Riley? That's right. It gave him um, a real resurgence in popularity in those uh, the America series. And probably a whole new audience, too. That's right. It did introduce him to a younger audience, uh, his collaborations that he did with Rick Rubin, and that was uh, Ain't No Grave, the title track of the posthumously released America 6, Ain't No Grave. So that's... um. No, wait. It's um, Ain't No Grave, the title track of the posthumously released American Part 6, Ain't No Grave. So Riley... What's your earliest memory of the idea of death? When did you come across this concept? Well, as I've said in the other shows, and it's interesting how it keeps coming back to this, that um, very early childhood awareness of uh, a sense of reincarnation, of having lived before, implies that I would have died before. So I had that um, in my way of thinking, but... uh, I remember being a very young toddler and accidentally stepping on a snail and feeling a lot of grief and guilt that I had ended the life of this creature. And I remember I was crying and my mother was consoling me and she said, it's okay, Riley, he had a short but happy life. Yeah, I had a similar uh, experience with um, the death of animals. I was, um, well, I was kind of surrounded by the uh, war, the Vietnam War, and I lived on an army base. Um, this is before my puberty when I was eight or nine years old. And and I remember it being all around me, and I remember um, my dad had a lot of uh, books about uh, previous wars, and so I was quite uh, aware of the connection between war and people dying. But it's not something I... Um, I was oddly surrounded by it without ever thinking about it much in terms of myself. Um, And I didn't have any um, relatives pass away uh, until I got to my 20s. Mm. Um, My grandparents started to die at that point. And, um, yes, uh, for me, like, I I didn't experience that, um, a bereaf of a family member with whom I was strongly connected until um only a few years ago um in my in my early 20s uh 
when when my grandmother, my nana, she she died at ninety two, um, and before that, uh, uh, my best friends growing up, their mother died when I was a teenager. So that she was really the first yeah f- big fixture in my life to um, to die. But I haven't I haven't lost any um, like childhood friends, people that I've grown up with. I haven't lost any friends yet. Mm, and were their deaths sudden and out of the blue, or was there some kind of warning? Uh, grandma's death was sudden. It came on quickly. She just she got sick over a few days and died in hospital, so it was quite unexpected. Um, and uh, my friend's death was her death was uh, longer, um, an illness over about a course of four years. So that was. Um, more protracted. Yeah, my uh, dad's parents uh, passed away in my early 20s and they died in a hospital situation and from memory it was uh, old age, basically. They got old and they their bodies appeared to just stop working and they passed away. And I can remember uh, visiting my, my dad's dad um, and he was pretty close to, I think, the point of uh, passing on. And that was my first real um, visceral experience with a dying person. Um, and I had a few more later on in my life. One of them was when I was in hospital. I had uh, I contracted hepatitis in the early 80s. And the old Prince Henry, Henry Hospital was still operational out near La Perouse. I think they put it out there because it was so far away from anything at that point in time, even though it's just suburbia now. And I was put in the isolation ward and I was with a couple of other people who had um, liver failure. And I watched uh, those two guys uh, pass away while I was there. And that was... um, quite an experience for me it it scared me and because I had a bad liver at the time and um, for many years after that decades after that um, I was very careful to take the recommendations <laughs> the dietary recommendations on um, you know trying to eat a diet that didn't put too much of a load on my liver um, and luckily, many years later, they um, introduced a, a program, interferon program, which has been very successful in uh, getting rid of that condition. And uh, I went on that in uh, the early 2000s and managed to get rid of my um, hepatitis. So that's great. I don't have that <laughs> looming over me. But of course, uh, death looms over us all. Yes, it's interesting how um, observing um, death can change the way that we approach our own lives. Because I know that, um, you know, when I lost um, my friend's mom, who was, you know, a big part of my life. uh, And I don't know why exactly, but um, after she died, it did change the way that I spent my time. And perhaps it was being called upon to be supportive uh, for my friend's in, in this scenario, but um, I was more purposeful with um, my interactions with other people, and I I found that I let um, certain 
pointless arguments and anxieties fall by the wayside and uh, used my time in a way that seemed more productive. I hear your sense of loss um, there and I relate to that uh, quite a lot. I had um, some friends die about 10 years ago. I was... um, um, I'd got a place on my own um, and I was successfully um, uh, looking after myself with the help of um, my very dear friends uh, who I'd known for quite a long time. They were f- Because I moved around a lot, a bit like a gypsy because of uh, my dad's um, work, we never stayed in any place for very long. Um, but when I got into my 20s and I started working in the music business, I um, made some friends with uh, uh, guys I was working with and a couple of those guys remained uh, my close friends uh, for about 25 years. And also um, the uh, process of getting involved in uh, 12-step fellowships also um introduced me to a lot of really interesting people and I formed uh, some very uh, close and intimate relationships with people, Um, one chap in particular um, and he passed away uh, along with uh, another two of my friends who are work colleagues all within a year or two of each other about 10 years ago and they died of uh, cancer, two of them it was very uh, rapid uh, from the time that they were diagnosed to the the time where they died was only a matter of weeks. In fact, one of them, um, it was one week, he rang me and told me he had um, uh, pancreatic cancer and a week later um, he was dead. Um, the... Um, the other friend I met through uh, through the recovery process, he had a much more drawn out um, uh, experience. Um, he had a lot more time um, to think about his own death and to prepare for it. And he put in quite a bit of effort to do that. He contacted a lot of people, um, and he kind of like tried to take care of business in much the same way that. Uh, the samurai um, used to do the. Uh, there's a great movie by Jim Jamush called Ghost Dogs about a character who was uh, lived his life by the samurai code, and uh, those guys were basically professional soldiers. Uh, their life was pretty hectic, and it revolved around fighting and killing. And so at any moment, on any day, uh, death was waiting for those, um, those people. And the way they dealt with it was to make sure that every day they took care of the important things in their life. They expressed love to the people they loved. They paid back the debts they had as best they could. Uh, and they just ticked all the boxes so that with the idea, I guess, that when death came knocking, um, they'd be ready for it. And they kind of talk about dying a little bit every day. 
And that's not really a, a morbid fascination with death. To me, it, it seems like preparing yourself by living your life by uh, principles. And if you can manage to do that, uh, I think, <laughs> I'm speculating here, but I think that um, if you were, did know that death was approaching, you might be able to handle it a little bit better. Well, John, that must have been very hard for you to lose th- your three closest friends over that two-year period, and it would have been um, uh, exacerbated by the fact that you were blind and you you know, needed their support. Yeah, and I didn't actually realize the the extent to which I relied on these guys. Uh, the old idea, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. I was um, devastated. Um, as I started to lose these guys, I wasn't present at their bedside. Um, they, they all died in hospital mm. and I, I uh, rang the hospital to get updates and in, um, you know, in each case I was simply informed over the telephone that they weren't there anymore. And, um, it's, uh, I find it even difficult to articulate how devastating mm. that, that was for me. I, it's like I, um, and I've heard other people uh, say the same thing about losing a loved one, is that they almost become, um, lose the ability to speak um, and sort of wander around in a bit of a daze. Yeah, you get like shell-shocked. Or, yeah, 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 shell-shock, exactly. Mm. I, um, I got to uh, be there when my nana died. We would... Uh, almost the whole family was gathered around. She died in hospital and we had this bedside vigil while she died and that was something that was organised by the hospital because they told us, oh, we're at that point where there's nothing more we can do. It's great that they um, um, yes. facilitated that for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was that like, that experience? It was... Um, Really, uh, as you say, it's hard to articulate the intensity of of the emotion, but um, I was thinking about the family. I was thinking about all the people there as well and how we're like this big tree that's grown out of, you know, uh, one person. So it was good that um, that we got to be there. I was appreciative even in this circumstance, like I was appreciative that we were there. Join me, Griff Brian Williams, for an exclusive tour of an ultraviolet future that never was. Future Pop Apocalypse. Your source for tasteful synthesizer music, electronic funk, and classic city pop. Only on 89.7 Eastside FM in Sydney and online at eastsidefm.org. Riley, can you tell us anything about the moment of her death? The You obviously there with your, your mm. family members. You were all uh, waiting for it to happen, I guess. Mm-mm. 
Do you have any memory of um, a point in time when her spirit left her? Um, it's hard to pin it down to that. I do remember thinking as she was winding down or well, how much... I remember wondering how much awareness she would have, what her, what she'd be seeing um, and what... Yeah, and how whether she knew we were there and that kind of thing. But um, the, I can't pin it down to that those moments. I, I don't remember, but I do remember that it was a very emotionally intimate experience that was shared with the rest of my family. Uh, and I was, you know, tearfully embracing um, members of my family with whom I wouldn't normally um, be that doing that. So that was definitely, that was unique. Yeah, I've, um, I guess because of the, the way that um, uh, people go to hospitals, um, when they're sick and they quite often die there, it's um, it's probably um, quite usual for people not to be around when their relatives pass away. And that's the case with me up until um, about two, uh, about, yeah, about two years ago, I, um, my first seeing eye dog named Angie, um, she developed sarcoma and got quite sick and I was there for her when she died. She'd been having uh, seizures and possibly heart attacks. Um, but at the same time, she was, um, she was there. She was always scrounging for food right till the, actually the very day she died. In fact, I think about two hours before she died, she was sniffing around the kitchen, wagging, <laughs> wagging her tail and looking for something to eat. Um, but she had two seizures that day and I knew, um, uh, that she didn't have much time left and she was lying at the end of the lounge chair and she had another seizure like heart attack and she started to breathe in, I think they call it the death rattles. It's a kind of a very labored, uh, noisy cycle of breathing. And I knew she was about to die and I picked her up in my arms and um, I started to sing to her and she passed away while I was holding her and I can remember distinctly knowing that her spirit had left her and... It was, um, I don't, I can't exactly put it into words how I knew that, but having her in my arms, um, it just seemed really obvious to me that um, she'd, she'd gone on to somewhere else. And the really beautiful part about actually that whole experience is that I feel, um, I feel great about being there for her at that time, because surely that you know, must be a scary thought for all of us to die alone without anybody else there. And I was there for her and I'd love to be there for my mum and dad who are quite old now. Um, if I can, I'd love to be there for them when they pass on. And the great thing is now I feel like Angie is always with me 
and she she quite often visits me and I feel like she's around and I actually have conversations with her as I do with my uh, grandparents as well and my friends um, I quite often feel like their presence is there and I call on them sometimes for courage and strength when I need a bit how about you Riley do you ever uh, feel the presence of your people who've passed away well, I didn't think of it in quite those terms, but perhaps that's what it is because I often do uh, think about well, what would grandma say about this or, you know, I'd like to, I'd talk to her about this and imagine, you know, what she'd have to say about it. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Won't you spare me over till another year? Well, what is this that I can't see with ice cold hands taking hold of me? Well, I am death, none can excel. I'll open the door to heaven or hell. Oh, death, someone would pray, could you wait to call me another day? The children prayed, the preacher preached, time and mercy is out of your reach. I'll fix your feet till you can't walk, I'll lock your jaw till you can't talk. I'll close your eyes so you can't see this very hour. Come and go with me. Death, I come to take the soul, leave the body and leave it cold. To drop the flesh off of the frame, the earth and worm both have a claim. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? My mother came to my bed, placed a cold towel upon my head. My head is warm, my feet are cold, death is a-moving upon my soul. Oh, death, how you're treating me, you're closed my eyes so I can't see. Well, you're hurting my body, you make me cold, you run my life right out of my soul. Oh, death, please consider my age. Please don't take me at this stage. My wealth is all at your command. If you will move your icy hands. Oh, the young, the rich are poor. All like me, you know. No wealth, no land, no silver, no gold. Nothing satisfies me but your soul. Oh, death. Oh, death. Won't you spare me over till another year? Won't you spare me over till another year? Won't you spare me over till another year?
And that was Ralph Stanley with Oh Death. And what an amazing voice he has. Yeah, that's from the Oh Brother Out There soundtrack. And um, we're coming to the end of the program, John. Give us your final words. Yeah, um, the wonders of uh, our modern world has given us extended life and all kinds of treatments and amazing procedures, but perhaps the trade-off is that we've lost our touch with the moment of death. And from our own experience, this can be uh, a truly amazing thing, a kind of closure that you can't get in any other way when you lose someone. So I guess the closing message is life's a beautiful thing. And if you're any in any doubt about that, go out and have a look at the nature outside. Mm. It's all around you and that beautiful blue sky up there. Yes, I personally feel very grateful to have had the experiences that I've had to live the life that I've lived because it's helped me to cultivate, I think, a healthier relationship with death than perhaps the culture at large, which tends to brush it under the rug. Yeah, I think that um, a healthy relationship with the idea of death and the actual moment of death in the people around us give us a greater appreciation for life itself. All right, folks, that's it from us for now, but we'll be back in six weeks with more Breaking Waves. Next week, we're going to have Alex and Arabella. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au.